Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 26. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world Yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those built up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since, since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, 
and inquirers, O unbelievers, come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you here. And uh, let me add my uh, welcome to Natasha's. Um, I wonder if you had to choose which of the following images best encapsulates what you would say church is supposed to be like. So it should be an image here uh, appearing on the screen. Is church for you mountaintop, doctor's surgery, or construction site? Or perhaps uh, in its finer moments, if you like, is it for you like therapy, doctor surgery, a moment of healing? Is it uh, a soaring spiritual experience, mountaintop? Or is it, as you see it, a building exercise? What do you think our gatherings are supposed to achieve? Okay, I want you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to it in a moment. Thank you, uh, Stuart. So today is the last in a short series of sermons that um, I've been preaching through this uh, early part of the new year uh, academically, thinking about the church. And I thought it was a good idea to do that, really, because after the disruption of the last few years, not least to church life, it feels like a good moment to get back to the scriptures and ask, what's the point of us actually gathering together? In the first sermon, as Natasha reminded us, 1 Corinthians 12 we saw how the church is a unified and diverse body, single body, united by Jesus Christ, made up of many different members, when we all need one another. Then two weeks back, we looked at chapter 13, again, as we were reminded of earlier, all about how that body is supposed to work. And the interesting thing about uh, chapter 13 is it doesn't say, well, you know, you're all different, so you've got to really just finely tune all your different skills so they work perfectly together. It says, no, the thing you need is love, the most important thing about how you come together. If you missed either of those, uh, do go back and uh, catch catch up on YouTube or podcast. But that does leave one question. What does it look like when we gather together to love one another? And that's where chapter 14 uh, comes in. Paul begins chapter 14 like this. He says, follow the way of love and... And so whatever comes next after this, this is going to be how you live out the way of love. And the TLDR, which for those of you of a particular generation who need an explanation, is too long, didn't read version of what I'm about to say, is it's there actually in verse 26 of our chapter. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We love one another by using our gifts to build each other up in faith. Or to put it another way, the church gathering is a building site. This is a building site in which each of us is both builder and building. So you are the builder up of others, and you are also a building being built up in faith by those around you. And I'm praying that as we we look at that in a bit more detail this morning, each of us is going to be captured by a new or, or perhaps a refreshed vision of how we might be used by God in that way. 
But let's first of all just get our handle on, on what this passage actually is doing originally. It just needs a little bit of explaining, but it's, it's worth it so that we can really understand it. In the first few verses, uh, Paul uh, explains the issue that he's speaking to. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For those uh, who speak in a tongue do not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, what is going on here? So it seems in the uh, church in Corinth, people prided themselves on being extremely spiritual. They felt, you know, we are really getting this right as a church. But throughout the, the letter, Paul has been saying to them, if you like, look, you're looking at the wrong dial. What you think makes your gathering so great, it's actually not that great at all. And he's zeroing in on one particular issue by talking to them about the way that they use two specific spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Let me explain what they are. Uh, the gift of tongues, uh, there's no comprehensive biblical definition of it, but so we have to sort of slightly read between the lines here. But what emerges from this chapter and other places is an experience that today millions of Christians across the world have experienced personally, but particularly within the Pentecostal and charismatic parts of the church. And this is what it is. It's like a spiritual gift, so something that comes from God. It comes from God and it's spoken to God, involves speaking out sounds um, that uh, come out in a pattern that's something like a language, even though it may not be a humanly recognizable language. The word for tongue and language is the same in Greek. It may be interpretable, so it may be that someone can understand what you're saying. It may not be, as verse 5 points out. And the point of all of this uh, for the tongue speaker is to capture some inexpressible yearnings and thoughts. Speaking in tongues is a, is a way of praising God in, in the spirit, even though we can't quite find the words. And as an experience, it really builds up our faith. So that's the gift of tongues. Uh, what about the gift of prophecy? Uh, well, we may think initially, okay, so that's about people predicting the future. Actually, when you start to look at what's going on here in the passage, that's probably not the essence of the gift. Um, it says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Um, so prophecy is, is just a message. It's a message to people for their growth in faith. But it's a spiritual gift, which I think means it comes uh, with a particular God-given spiritual impact. Perhaps you've had someone speak to you in that kind of prophetic way, and suddenly you, it's come with divine clarity straight applied into your circumstances or struggles. Sometimes it might look like just really inspired preaching. Other times it might be a much more personal word, something more specific. And what's clear is that in contrast to formal teaching roles in the church, it's something that not just a few, but anyone could eagerly desire. So that's what these two gifts are. Now, I don't know what you make of um, those kind of phenomena. My guess is, looking around this room, I don't know, but uh, there's going to be a range of reactions. Uh, perhaps, you know, you were born with your hands in the air into a family of prophets. You speak in tongues every day. This is brilliant. Perhaps, frankly, all this talk of supernatural gifts makes you want to run home and have a cold shower. That's fine, too. Okay? You, you actually, 
don't have to have specific answers to all the many questions that might arise about these gifts, although I'm happy to speak to you about those further on another occasion if you'd like to. The point that the chapter is trying to make is actually relatively simple, and it's spelt out in verse 4. It says, Those who, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And that's the issue, right? Our gatherings are supposed to be characterized by love. We're supposed to prefer one another. Uh, and so the gifts that we want to aim to bring, eagerly desire, are not the ones that have ourselves kind of sailing out on a spiritual planet nine, but actually the one that's going to build up the faith of the other people there. Now, I wonder whether that fits in with your understanding of what you come to a gathering for, whether it's on a Sunday morning or uh, whether it's in a small group. Do you think, oh, you know, this is this moment to kind of curate a really perfect experience of God for myself? Or do you think more, what gifts can I bring so that my brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be strengthened, encouraged, or comforted in their faith today? Now, I I recognize that I asked that question. It may be, frankly, that is a pretty outlandish thought for you this morning. You know, perhaps the way that you think about church has been more, you, you come in, uh, you receive, frankly, just sometimes just so chuffed that you've even arrived. And, and God bless you if that is you this morning. And you're looking for something, some kind of experience of God, and then you go home, hopefully you've got a shot in the arm for the week, and really that's it. And it may be that if you think about church like that, it's been like that for a very long time. And frankly, the people who have led church services and gatherings have kind of encouraged you to think that way, as far as you can tell. And if that's the case, that's already actually a great start, because it's not less than that. But here's the really big question. How do you think that's going to happen? How in the life of the church do you think your faith is going to be strengthened? Will it be because you're going to tune in to the delivery of some religious professional for 60 minutes, and then you're going to unplug and walk home? Or or have you begun to get a vision of how you yourself are God's delivery mechanism? He's got a purpose for you personally to come and grow the faith and strengthen the faith of those around you. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands, but perhaps there would be quite a lot of hands if I asked, who in this room thinks that's absolutely unthinkably impossible? I've got nothing to offer. I just kind of scraped through the door. I'm hardly here, frankly. Well, here is a really, really simple thought. Uh, and uh, it was, came out of our new course that we just started this, this week, Six Steps to Loving Your Church. Not too late to join, by the way, Tuesday evenings here in the church. It was brilliant. Uh, after the end of the, the session, we were left with just one challenge. And it is delightfully simple and hugely powerful. Here was the challenge. The next time you walk into church, can you pray about where you're going to sit? Pray that the Lord would guide you to where he wants you to sit. Now, just to be clear, this is not, dear Lord, I pray that no one will be sitting in my favorite place because I really, okay. No, 
Lord, who would you have me sit next to? It's such a powerful idea because it just engages you with the idea that the Lord has brought you here for a reason. You have a unique contribution to make to the people who are here or when you come to your small group. Now, what is it? Where are you going to sit? The way we live out our love for each other as a gathering starts as basic as that. And, of course, it can go much further than that, too, as we seek to build one another up in faith. Okay, so far, hopefully, so logical. But perhaps we're thinking, is that really realistic? Is that really realistic aim for us as a church, that we're all going to sort of come together and have something to give to one another to strengthen one another in faith? Well, I think it depends. It depends on a couple of other things. And here are just a few principles that we get from this chapter that I think are going to help us. Number one is that our formal services as a church, they're just a starting point for our life together. When we get together like this formally, it's just a starting point. There are some wonderful things you can do by packing 150 people into a room. One of the less easy things to do is hand the mic around for 150 people to all say what they need to say. That's not really realistic. But we do need to find places where we have enough space for us to encourage one another. That's why we continue our fellowship over coffee next door. That's why we invite everyone and encourage you really to join a small group or a little prayer triplet midweek so you have some time to actually bless one another and, and, and do that work of building one another up. These formal services, it's just a starting point. Second, we expect the supernatural in our gatherings. We expect and we want to make space for God to be at work when we meet. When we meet here, when we meet uh, in our midweek small groups. Now let me ask you, do you have that expectation? Do you have that expectation that when we gather together, the Lord's going to do something? Perhaps um, you might want to start to get tuned into that. Perhaps before you come out to church or Saturday evening or in the week, could you pray, Lord, please meet with me today? Or even better than that, Lord, teach me today what I might give to someone else for their strengthening and comfort and encouragement. Paul expected that to happen. Did you catch that little bit at the, at the end? He was saying, look, there may be in your gathering some people who are not Christians. And by the way, if that's you this morning, it's wonderful that you're here. It's fantastic that you're here. And this is what he imagined. These people would be in the gathering and they'd be looking at the Christians and going, there is something going on here. This is extraordinary. This is for real. The words are, verse 25, God is really among you. And because they say that, because they experience that, then their own hearts are revealed, are, are laid bare, and they come to worship. That, that means that we expect something of God. Number three, we value words. Number three, we value words. Words matter. Words really matter. You know, some of us who, who make our living out of words, sometimes we lose touch with reality, and we've got to be careful about that. But words do matter. The Christian faith is a way of understanding our whole reality. And it's different to the way that most people in our world see their lives. It gives us hope in the face of death. It gives us meaning in apparent chaos. We could go on for some time. But for all of that, we actually need words. And we need the words of our brothers and sisters 
We need, I need your words when I'm struggling to say, look, John, this is very difficult, but actually your struggles are not going to last forever. And many, many other words besides. Verse 18, so powerful here. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I should think everyone is relatively grateful that he does five intelligible words rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. But just stepping back, what does it mean? It means you don't need very many words. Perhaps you're not a real kind of, you don't tend to go on. Five will do, apparently. They don't have to be long and clever words either, I guess. He wants to be understood. But words matter. They're God's bricks and mortar. And this is a good moment to really encourage and thank all of you who work in ministries where you teach, where you instruct, and also the many of you who just got that kind of instinct, homing instinct, to go and find someone who needs a pickup on a Sunday morning or any other time in the week, who needs to be encouraged, and you say those words of encouragement. It's wonderful what you do. So words matter. Um, And uh, number four, individual experience comes second. When we gather together, our own personal individual experience comes second, not first. A little bit of an illustration from the passage here. Uh, I don't know whether you ever find church awkward. Of course not. Um, uh, But just in case you have ever found church awkward, uh, I'm encouraged in this passage that we're not the first people to grapple with awkwardness in church. In fact, what goes on here in verse 16 is so colorful that you feel like Paul has been there. This is the reality he paints. He says, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Right, okay, so imagine this. We're in a house church in Corinth. There's, you know, 30 people in the room. One church member says, absolutely going for it. Arms in the air, loving it. Lost everyone there ages ago. They're just giving it all to God. And uh, they're just speaking in tongues. Everyone else has long since fallen quiet. And they're sort of looking at each other in this kind of awkward silence. And then they finish. And then everyone's like, what, what, do, we, what do we do now? Do we say amen? I mean, I don't even know what we're saying amen to. Paul is saying, look, it's great that you're having your personal God moment. But actually, your personal experience has got to come second. You can go home and get onto your spiritual mountaintop in your front room. That's fine. But when you're here together, do something that will build others up. Now, this could apply in so many different ways. Here's just a couple of examples. Perhaps we find ourselves thinking, oh dear, it's not my favorite hymn or song. Something tells me someone has experienced that before. Well, look at that person over there. They're absolutely loving it. They're so edified and so built up by this. This is great. We should have more of this. Or uh, perhaps we just find ourselves, you know, walking out of church saying, wow, that wasn't really worth it. I didn't really, didn't really get much out of church today. Well, how about you change the metric? What did everyone else get out of church today? What did I bring to church in the power of God Those are just some ways to think that our experience might come second. And let me say, I know there are so many wonderful people in this church family who think like that all the time. 
And thank you for the way that you look out for those around you and support that kind of attitude. There's so much we could draw on here more, but that will have to do for now. Let me just close with where I began. I asked this question, what is church for? What is church for? I want to ask you, has your imagination been captured? I wonder whether this morning you have gained that sense of excitement or expectation that God may be intending to use you in the building up of others. And also, how others might be God's instrument to build you up, both here and in every gathering that you enjoy through your week. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.